Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, folks. Welcome to this new episode of the podcast. Uh, this is just the sort of preamble before the main episode begins. And um, my daughter's right here in front of me in my arms as I record this. So if you hear noises, that's what that means. So here's a new episode. And this one is all about my experiences with French as a language. So in this episode, I'm in the role of a language learner. I actually, in this episode, talk about some of my experiences with French, including some things about when I was a kid at school and uh, some experiences I've had since living here and things like that. It's not the whole story. This is part one of a two-part episode. I haven't done part two yet, so I might be able to respond to your comments in part two. If you leave comments for this episode, I might be able to respond to them when I do part two. In this episode, you'll hear me set out my aims for the episode, including talking about um, a diary that I wrote when I was uh, learning French in Paris a few years ago uh, for a few weeks, uh, and some other aims and objectives. So you'll hear me mention those aims and objectives at the beginning. Uh, some of those aims and objectives will actually be dealt with in part two of this uh, episode. Um, I spend quite a lot of time talking about how bad I feel about my French, and you'll hear me giving my excuses for that, although you should never make excuses because that's a way of avoiding uh, taking responsibility for yourself. This is quite a long episode, but I hope that you hear the whole thing so that you also get my comments and conclusions about language learning at the end. Also, it's a little bit downbeat because I'm feeling a bit depressed about my lack of progress in French, to be honest. I'm not feeling depressed because I've been trying and trying and, and not making progress. It's more I'm just feeling depressed with, you know, annoyed with myself because I haven't been trying, as you'll hear in the episode. Um, uh, so a slightly downbeat one, but it feels good to admit my faults and kind of um, do a little bit of therapy on the podcast and kind of get these things off my chest. Um, now, I should mention the sponsor for this episode, and that's uh, italki. It's a great resource which is out there, and I really must um, get back on italki myself and book in some regular uh, French lessons or French conversation classes. Even though I live in France, I live in Paris, it can be surprisingly difficult to find a convenient way to get some regular speaking or regular lessons in French into my uh, weekly routine, especially now that I've got a baby to look after and uh, my wife and I are sort of juggling uh, work and looking after the baby at the moment. So, um, you know, it's this is modern living, but a service like Italk he can really help and obviously they've got thousands of teachers there who will help you with your English uh, not just English they, they do all sorts of languages 
Millions of people use italki, including lots of my listeners, and I've had lots of good responses from my audience about italki, you know, from people who've used it. With italki, you can get lessons from private teachers or conversations with uh, English speakers in different countries, in the UK, for example. It's all done through Skype, so it's really convenient. You can have English lessons or conversations in your own home or at at work, in your office or something. And um, it's all based around your particular needs and your particular preferences and stuff. And when you buy some talking time with italki, they will send you a voucher worth a free lesson because you listen to this podcast. That's not bad. Check out teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. And here now is the jingle for the new episode right now. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing out there in podcast land? I hope you're doing all right. I'm currently sitting on a yoga ball. You know, those kind of big um, inflatable balls that you find at the gym or at a yoga studio. I'm sitting on a yoga ball, bouncing up and down, not for my own enjoyment, but because this is the only way to keep my baby daughter from crying when I've got her in my arms. Um, I mean, she's pretty good if I'm holding her. Normally, she's okay, but for any length of time, to prevent her from sort of struggling and crying, then I have to bounce up and down on this yoga ball. And for some reason, that seems to pacify her. She she finds it relaxing and pleasant. And usually, if she's been fed and she's been changed, then this is the way to get her to go to sleep. And sometimes what happens is I'll put her down in her cot, which is like a sort of a little bed for a baby. I, I might put her in the cot and she'll fall asleep for a bit. And then she wakes up and starts kicking her legs and kind of crying a bit. And it's basically because... Well, as I said, if she, as long as she's been fed and she's been changed, um, she might wake up and start crying just because she likes to hang out. She kind of likes to spend time in, uh, in your arms. Uh, my wife isn't here at the moment. She had to go out this afternoon to do some work stuff. So um, here I am at home with the baby and she's now asleep. So I'm, I'm holding her on my lap with my arm around her. Uh, protecting her head, of course, because you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to give plenty of support to the baby's head. So here I am with my right arm around her, supporting her head, left arm on the microphone. So I'm multitasking here in this episode of the podcast. And hopefully she won't wake up. I think that she should be quite comfortable. She'll probably be okay for the duration of this episode now. We'll see how it goes, but I might need to keep her in my arms. And I think by the end of this episode, my right arm will be ready to drop off. Uh, Maybe I can pause at some point and kind of switch arms or something. Anyway, if you hear sort of baby noises, then you'll know what's going on. It's because she, I don't know, maybe she she might start making noises or something in the background. Okay, well, let's hope that she stays calm and cool and happy uh, during this episode. Um, I did, this is the second attempt that I've done at recording this episode um, this afternoon. The first attempt I recorded, um, I don't know, about 10 or 15 minutes ago. 
and I started talking and she was in the cot and she started crying and so I couldn't continue recording but um and so I had to abandon that episode but you can find that recording it's probably about five minutes worth you can find that in the app in the Luke's English podcast app uh, as a piece of bonus audio for this episode so if you want to hear that you can the app of course the Luke's English podcast app is available from the from the app store for iOS you know Apple devices and it's available on the Google Play store I think it's called now for Android devices it's available free you can get all of the episodes of the podcast on the app uh, as well as bonus uh, stuff for for some of the episodes and plenty of other content in fact um, I've recently um, uploaded loads of videos into the app and there are lots of videos from my YouTube channel and also a couple of other videos that are brand new that you won't have uh, seen before. So check them out. And also what I'm doing is I'm slowly but surely adding all the episodes of A Phrasal Verb A Day, my Phrasal Verb podcast, into the app as well. And so far, I think I've uploaded, I guess, what, nearly 40 episodes of A Phrasal Verb A Day into the app. And if you open up the app on your phone and check out the categories item in the menu on the side, then you'll see all the different categories. And the new categories are videos. That's where, obviously, you'll find all the videos. And another category is a phrasal verb a day. That's where you'll find all the phrasal verb episodes. For the normal episodes of the podcast, you just go to LEP episodes. And for the app-only episodes, well, it's obvious. You just click the uh, or tap the app-only episodes category. There, is, there are a couple of other uh, categories in there, too. Like there are some jingles in there and some alarm ringtones and stuff. And also a category that says, welcome to the app. If, if you haven't checked out the app yet, um, you should listen to welcome to the app and the tour of the Luke's English podcast app first, because those will explain everything you need to know. All right. So if you want to hear the abandoned first attempt uh, of this episode, then you can check out the bonus audio uh, for this one in the app. But... In this episode, I'm going to talk about my experiences of learning French, or not learning it, as the case may be. Uh, I'm going to read from an old diary that I kept for a while when I was taking some French lessons a few years ago, and I'm going to reflect on the things that I've done, or more specifically, haven't done, and how these things have affected my progress, or indeed lack of progress, in French. I hope that you find this interesting and applicable to your experiences of learning English. Perhaps we can use my experiences to consider various things about how we learn languages as adults in classroom environments, using self-guided learning, and by being immersed in the culture and language of another country. Okay, I'd like to start this episode by speaking some French. Now, I know that you will now be judging me and you'll be judging my French, especially if you speak French already. If you, for example, if you're a French person, you might listen to me speaking French and you mean, you'll probably judge me on my French. And even if you can't understand me, you, you might even judge me too, because you'll get a sense of whether I'm you know, fluent or not. So I, this is going to be very awkward for me, I have to say, and probably embarrassing because, I mean, as you will know, being you know, being a learner of English, I expect, it's it can be very awkward and very embarrassing and horrible when you open your mouth and speak your second or third language or whatever, 
and you feel like people are judging you, especially when there's an expectation that you should be good or should be better than you are. I mean, it's a horrible experience, isn't it? And, and you know, this awkwardness that we have uh, about speaking in our other language, that feeling of shame or awkwardness probably accounts for why many of us don't speak as much as we should. It probably accounts for why we don't feel comfortable in the other language. I mean, as people, I think it's human nature that we don't like to be judged. And we feel bad, you know, when we look bad in other people's eyes. I think these are some of the things that, that as people, we worry about the most. We naturally worry about what other people think of us and how we're seen by other people. I think these are often the most important things to people or or certainly um, very important things relating to identity. You might think to yourself, well, I don't care. I don't care what other people think. But I think when it comes down to it and you're in a situation where people are going to be watching you or listening to you and judging you, it, I mean, most people do start to feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, take, for example, the situation of doing a presentation, not necessarily in in the language you're learning, but just even in your native language. Most people say, or it's very common to say, that people's biggest fear is public speaking. Um, but public speaking in, a, in another language, I mean, that's often really uncomfortable. So I'm going to try and do it a little bit now. Um, but I understand that you are going to judge me. But don't judge me too much, please. All right. Okay, I shouldn't, I shouldn't worry about it. Um, perhaps you'll get some comfort in hearing me struggling in another language, you know, and I'm doing it as an act of sort of, um, what's the word for it? An act of, an act of solidarity, uh, with those of you who have struggled to express yourself in English. All right. And, and by the way, if you don't speak French, just keep listening because I will switch, I will switch back to English in a moment, I promise. Uh, and perhaps if you don't speak French, you can just try and work out what I'm saying. It probably won't be difficult. It won't be long. Anyway, here we go. Okay, so this is me embarrassing myself with French here at the beginning. Bonjour, bonjour tout le monde et bienvenue au Luke's English Podcast. C'est un podcast pour um, uh, quelqu'un qui veut uh, améliorer. Oh God, it's already fucked. Bonjour tout le monde et bienvenue au Luke's English Podcast. Enchanté, je m'appelle Luke. Je suis un prof d'anglais. Et euh, voilà, c'est mon podcast pour quelqu'un qui veut progresser en anglais. Oui, pas en, pas en français, parce que si tu écoutes mon français, ma française, je sais pas, si tu écoutes moi... Quand je parle en, euh, cette langue, c'est évident que c'est un, euh, la langue d'un très euh, un personne euh, idiotique. Oui, je, je parle con, un con. Oui, et euh, c'est pas possible d'améliorer ton français avec moi. Franchement, anglais, oui, pas de problème. Fantastique. Je suis euh, Prof d'anglais, je, je parle anglais euh, euh, sans accent. C'est pas vrai, j'ai un, un accent euh, un peu 
britannique, anglais, etc. Mais euh, en français, non. C'est euh, un vrai cauchemar. Euh, voilà. OK. C'est tout. J'ai fini. Je, je suis claqué. Voilà. OK. That was me speaking uh, my terrible French. Weirdly, once I got over, once you get over the, the, the sort of strangeness of speaking on your own and knowing that lots of people are going to be listening to you online, once you get beyond that, it's somehow a little bit easier to talk on your own. Because, you see, when I'm in front of another person, it's like a totally different story. Because when I'm in front of another person, you know, I can see their, the way they're reacting. And also there's the issue, the problem of them speaking back to you and you having to understand what the hell they're saying. And often it just breaks down. It's horrible. Anyway, um, that, was there, that was some of my French there. So there you go. If you, if you find it tricky sometimes speaking English, then trust me, believe me, I know how you feel. I really, really do. Okay? Now, in this episode, I just want to talk about my experiences with French. I want to tell you a few stories and then use them as a way to consider Uh, things like this. Uh, I'd like to consider what it's like to learn a language in a classroom environment versus learning on your own. I'd like to consider how to learn a language in a classroom and indeed whether you should study in a group class at all. Uh, what it's like to teach language in a classroom environment and just other little things that occur to me about learning languages during my experiences with French. Also, I'd like to consider my situation as a sort of case study for someone probably failing to learn another language. And, you know, we can just, you know, think about why it is that my French isn't better than it, it, it should be after, yeah, about five years of living in France. I know, I know. Like, please don't judge me, all right? Okay. Now, I've got, I've, I've, as I've said many times before, I don't feel like my French is very good, but my excuses are improving all the time. I'm fluent in excuses now, uh, which is terrible. You shouldn't really have excuses. You shouldn't make excuses for your um, lack of progress in a second language. You shouldn't do that. But nevertheless, I have plenty of excuses, uh, which I'll talk about in a bit. First of all, I'd like to just sort of give a bit of backstory and talk about my French and me and how I learned some French as a child and how I'm now basically failing to learn it properly as an adult, despite the fact that I am an English teacher, and despite the fact that I know plenty of things about learning a second language. In fact, I often talk about uh, advice and strategies for learning a second language, and yet, apparently, I don't apply those things to myself. What does that mean? You see, I, I've got lots of hang-ups about my French for all these reasons. Um, I'll go into those things in a bit, okay? And I'll, I'll um, bear my soul um, about, um, you know, about this subject. Um, I'll try not to beat myself up too much uh, and no more than is necessary. Anyway, um, let's see. When was the first time I ever spoke French? I think it must have been when um, I was on holiday with my family Um, we used to go on holiday to the south of France quite a lot when my brother and I were kids. This is probably when I was about five, six, seven years old, that kind of time. And um, the family would go and spend time on holiday during the summer in the south of France in a lovely town called Serre, 
which is not far from Perpignan, near the, near the Spanish border in the foothills of the Pyrenees. That's, those are the mountains that sort of divide France and Spain. Um, it's a beautiful area. And the town, Serret, is just a, a lovely French town, uh, you know, in the south of France. And they have all the things you would expect. They have like the market on Saturday. They've got the area in the centre of town where people are playing uh, pétanque, which is that game where you throw metal balls. Um, it's a bit like bowling, but with, with metal uh, balls. And there are the boulangeries and the cafes and the bistros and all that sort of thing. Serret also is known for um, the fact that uh, Picasso, the artist, lived there for a while. And there's a little gallery showcasing some of his uh, some of his work that he did while he was living there. So it's a beautiful place, and I've got fantastic memories of spending time there as a kid uh, with my family. And so the first words I ever spoke uh, in French would have been on this on these holidays because uh, my parents used to send James and me uh, to the local boulangerie in the morning to get the bread and stuff for breakfast. A boulangerie is a bakery, basically. Um, and, you know, France is known for its excellent bread. And going to the boulangerie to buy the bread and the croissants and stuff and the pain au chocolat, uh, that is one of the, um, the genuine pleasures of living in France. And so, yeah, every morning for breakfast, we would eat fresh bread and fresh croissant. And the boulangerie was just just down the end of the road where we used to stay. We, we always used to stay in the same house, a house that was owned by some friends of my parents. And so they would send uh, James or me or both of us down to the local boulangerie to go and buy the bread. And they taught us how to order four croissants and two uh, baguettes. A baguette is like a long loaf of bread. Okay, so they they told us how to say that. And the phrase is bonjour quatre croissants et deux baguettes s'il vous plaît which means hello four croissants and two baguettes please so that phrase is um stuck in my mind now i'll probably always remember that i mean it's not the most difficult phrase but i just remember being taught that and then kind of repeating it bonjour bonjour quatre croissants et deux baguettes s'il vous plaît going down and being worried you know as a six-year-old or seven-year-old i mean this is back in the early 80s and these days i don't think you would send a child down the road um on their own even if it is just literally about sort of 20 meters away I don't think you'd do that these days because it feels like the world is a different place. But back in the in the early eighties, in this nice little little town in France, it was okay to just send a child down to the boulangerie to buy the bread. Anyway, uh, I'd go down, repeating the phrase, feeling nervous because I couldn't I couldn't pronounce it properly, like pronouncing quatre, 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 quatre. Even now, when I the more I think about how to pronounce French properly, the more self-conscious I become and the worse it gets. It's, it's really complicated. It's probably the same for you learning English. Bonjour, quatre croissants et deux baguettes, s'il vous plaît. Not very good. Um, but I suppose the thing is that you shouldn't worry about it, right? Anyway, I'd go down, queue up in the boulangerie, the smell of the fresh bread in my, in my nose. Oh, Amazing. The smell of a French boulangerie is just incredible. It's one of the most amazing smells in the world. And I'd probably feel nervous. And then it would get to be my turn. And, um, you know, the boulangère would say, uh, you know, 
bonjour, you know, what do you want? And I'd be like, bonjour, and I'd repeat the phrase, quatre croissants et deux baguettes, s'il vous plaît. And in fact, to be honest, the, the interaction from my point of view as a child went like this, basically, from my, from my eyes. It was like, bonjour, blah, 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 blah. And I think, I've no idea what the person said, but I'll just repeat my phrase that I've learned. Uh, quatre croissants et deux baguettes, s'il vous plaît. And then that would be met with a response of like, blah, 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 which would probably be the, the boulanger shouting to someone in the back of the boulangerie, blah, 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 blah. And I'd be thinking, oh God, you know, please don't talk to me. And I'd just hand over the money and they'd be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Some more friendly sounding, but slightly scary things. They'd take the money, give me the croissants and the bread. And then I would say merci and leave as quickly as possible, clutching the delicious bread and croissants in my, um, in my hands. And then uh, go um, make a beeline uh, back to the house and eat a delicious breakfast. So that was it. Um, anything outside my script of uh, quatre croissants et deux baguettes, anything outside that was basically impossible. For example, if someone asked me a question or did anything else, I would just look sweetly at the person. I'd kind of try and look cute and maybe just repeat the line again until I, get, until I got what I wanted. And to be honest, in a way, not much has changed. I'm still doing the same thing today. I still go down to the boulangerie. I don't order four croissants and, and deux baguettes, but I might order two baguettes or like a pan de seigle uh, tranché, which means a, like a whole wheat bread uh, in slices. Uh, but it's still kind of the same. I still go in. I still feel nervous. I still love the smell of the boulangerie. Um, I still kind of um, get queue jumped. People somehow jump ahead of me in the queue and um, and they get away with it because I'm not confident enough in French to argue with them. So I get queue jumped and I nervously you know, finger the money in, in my hand and then I order my baguettes and uh, pay the money and leave as quickly as possible eating the the bread on the way home. Um, so that was my experience as a kid. And then in secondary school in England, I think we had five years of French, maybe three years of French at school. Um, and I don't really remember learning that much. Even after three or five years, I don't really remember the stuff that I learned. I think we did the basics like bonjour, je m'appelle Luke which means, hi, my name is Luke, um, and uh, je suis anglais, which is like, I'm English, and um, like, je ne comprends pas, which is like, I don't understand, <laughs> and uh, uh, j'habite à Solihull, which is like, I live in Solihull, and all of the kids in our class would speak with these terrible accents. Some of the kids were better than others. Some of them had learnt French with their families somehow, but most of us were pretty hopeless, and it was just a bunch of English kids, you know, just being hopeless, basically, feeling extremely awkward. Most of the other kids were rubbish at French, and so was I. I wasn't really in a particularly great class, uh, in school, the, the French class I was in wasn't particularly great because they streamed you, you see, they streamed you. I think probably after the first year of French, they decide who are the weaker ones and who are the stronger ones and they put the weaker ones together and they put the stronger ones together. So there's kind of like different levels and stuff. So I think I was always in a fairly low-ish level 
Um, to be honest, I, of course, I should have tried harder because then I would have been in a better class and then I would have learned even more. I would have been with better kids. I would have been with uh, more, in, frankly, more intelligent or more motivated kids. But I ended up probably in the middle or lower level class. All I remember of my French classes at school was basically mucking around in the language lab. Uh, we had one of those language labs, which was like a um, a place where uh, there would be loads of tape recorders uh, installed all the way around the edge of the room and headphones and uh, a kind of big control station in the middle. And the teacher would sit at the control station and all the kids would sit at their own little um, um, sort of... Uh, substations and uh there would be a tape for each person and you'd have you know all the controls like uh play and rewind and fast forward and record and you'd sit with the headphones on and the teacher would play you some recordings and you had to kind of you know listen and repeat and then listen back to yourself and stuff like that and most of the time the kid you know all the kids would be messing around recording rude noises recording rude words over the top generally being idiots like kind of um uh pressing record on on your friends uh, station when he didn't want to record it and just generally fooling around getting into trouble um, you know the teacher would would be able to actually uh, speak directly to to you sometimes so if you were messing around you'd suddenly get the teacher speaking directly in your ears like Luke what are you doing you know get back to what you're supposed to be doing leave your leave Simon's station alone you know all that sort of thing so a lot of mucking around in the language lab, recording rude messages over the top of the French tapes. Our teacher, I remember our teacher sometimes used to bring in a dusty old tape player uh, into the classroom and we would sit at our desks and there'd be this old tape player. You know those old, I don't know if it's the same in your countries, but um, in England, for some reason in schools, uh, the teachers always had these these special tape players and they were like, kind of big wooden boxes like massive things i'd never i never ever saw tape players like that in any other situation other than in school it's like they were built for the school environment um i suppose they were built to withstand the the punishment of uh being used at school so our teacher would bring in this old dusty tape player and we would have to listen to dialogues like in french uh, usually dialogues that would happen in the street. For some reason, every interaction that we heard uh, on these tapes was people talking in the street, and there was always the sound of like a, a French avenue in the background. You know, you could imagine like uh, Citroëns and Renault and Peugeot cars driving up and down. Um, and uh, so the book that we used was called Tricolore. Tricolore, which basically means like three colours, the tricolor is actually the name of the French flag, the red, you know, the blue, white, and red flag. Um, it's called the tricolor, and the name of our course book was tricolor. And um, one day, yeah, that's it, tricolor. Okay, and we used to listen to these dusty old the, um, tapes, and it was always really hard to hear them because they were either too loud or too quiet. The sound quality was poor, um, and every single interaction seemed to be, as I said, in the street, but between, like. Uh, some probably a pretty young girl asking questions to some sort of probably s- 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 older man who smoked too much. 
that always seemed to be the thing. It would always be like some pretty young girl. Bonjour, monsieur. Um, où est l'office de tourisme, s'il vous plaît? Where is the tourist office, please? And then the man, I could imagine him like smoking while he's answering. You know, it's just an actor, but they they would always choose these actors who'd be like, Ah, oh, oui, l'office de tourisme, oui, uh, c'est, en, c'est, uh, c'est en face de la banque. Everything was always en face de la banque, uh, which was hilarious to us uh, as kids. Uh, en face de la banque means uh, opposite the bank. And the reason that that, that was hilarious is because the word banque, which is the French word for bank, banque in English sounds like the word bonk. And bonk is a ru- is like a sort of fairly rude, stupid word to mean sex. So bonking means having sex. But it's kind of like a slightly rubbish word that you might use for sex. It's it's not really that rude. It's just kind of stupid. But anyway, it's en face de la bonk. And of course, we'd all be going, he said bonk. That, the word bonk and the other word is piscine. The, uh, la piscine is the swimming pool. But of course, in English, piscine sounds like pissing, doesn't it? So, you know, we'd all be, you know, giggling whenever anyone said la piscine or la bonk. So we'd all be you know, giggling and not taking it seriously. One day, uh, the teacher uh, rolled into the classroom an old TV and video. So back in the 80s, actually this was the 90s when I was learning French at school. I say learning, not really learning it. Back in the 90s, this was in the days when everything was on video cassette. And um, so the, the teacher sometimes would bring in this huge TV on a big trolley um, and it would be attached to a video machine and the teacher one particular day rolled in this old TV and video and played us a video of of young French people socializing and they were about 13 or 14 years old these these young French teenagers socializing it was like a video of like this is how French teenagers socialize let's watch their uh, you know social customs and listen to them speaking French and you know it might be interesting to see what kids of your age in France uh, are like when they socialize and we watched these these kids like meeting each other probably on a Saturday or something and socializing and to be honest I was sort of horrified by watching this video something there was just something strangely horrifying about it. They All of them dressed like adults, first of all. Like all French kids seem to dress like adults. I know that sounds strange, but it was just something weird, you know, different culture. But these 13-year-old French kids were all dressed up like adults. You know, they were wearing shirts and nice trousers and good shoes and, and sweaters and cardigans and things. They dressed like adults and they sort of acted like adults as well. They were very civilized. They, when they met each other, they all kissed each other on the on the cheeks, and they brought each other gifts and things. And I feel like they were drinking wine with their lunch, but I think that's just my imagination. I'm I'm certain it is, of course. But it's felt like that's the kind of thing they were doing. Like maybe they were tasting cheese from a cheese board and generally acting like adults. It was so sort of frightening. I was like, oh my god, uh, they seem so serious and so grown up. Um, it seemed like they were just socialising like a bunch of adults. And it all happened on a Wednesday, I think. A Saturday or a Wednesday afternoon. Anyway, it just because kids in France, they don't go to school on Wednesday afternoons, which is just, uh, uh, for for me as a kid at school, that was just like unthinkable. Like what? You just 
what do you do? You don't go to school on Wednesday. What you're just free to just sit round and have conversations and eat cheese and and wear you know slacks. I don't understand. So it seems so far from my life where I was, uh, you know, when I was living in England as a 13 year old, an incredibly awkward. 13-year-old who was incapable of communicating properly with other kids of my age unless it was through a game of football or piss-taking or just awkward giggling and embarrassment and computer games. And I certainly couldn't relax and socialise and have a conversation, especially if there were girls around at that time. So the French kids in this video all seemed so confident and sophisticated and grown up and they it felt a billion miles away from the life that I was living and, and most of my friends were living. It also didn't help. It also didn't help that around the same time we watched, we had sex education classes at school around the same time, which were uh, even more awkward than the French lessons, of course. Uh, But I'm sure that the sex education videos that we watched were French. I think they were French, but translated into English. Okay. Now, this is very strange because why why were the sex education videos in England French? Is it because the French were just far more relaxed and far more at ease with the whole subject? They made videos about sex education for, for children. Um, I say sex education. I mean, some of you out there might be shocked at this idea. I mean, it wasn't teaching you how to have sex. It was teaching you about the human body, about the reproductive organs and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it wasn't literally like, here's how to have sex. Uh, no, it was just teaching you about the different, you know, the anatomy and the biology of it. Uh, but for some reason, I think our, our sex education videos were in French. I might have mis- I misremembered this. I might have somehow mixed up that video of the French kids socialising and the sex education classes. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that they showed a French family on the beach, naked. There was a French family on the beach and they were playing with a beach ball and they were naked. I think, again, that's why you couldn't have made that video in England. Because if you can't really... You can't really get naked on an English beach. First of all, because it's just too cold. Uh, and secondly, because it's it's just not the dumb thing. It's not normal to be topless for for women or to have no clothes on. on the, I don't know if we're just uncomfortable with that. It's a hangover from the Victorian era, but it's just not done. It's not like in France they're all constantly naked on the beach, although they are naked on the beach more than Brits are, that's for sure. So anyway... That was just weird, watching videos of a, of a French family playing with a with a beach ball on the beach. It was just in, tremendously awkward. And I imagined, somehow in my memory now, I imagined that these, these French kids hanging around naked with their family and friends and just being really confident the whole time, speaking in this fluent, perfect French that made them all sound so grown up and scary. So I have traumatic memories of... Uh, learning French at school. It just feels like the whole environment of school was just so awkward and I was a you know pubescent teenager and I mixed it all up with the awkwardness of sex education and my inability to communicate with girls and it's all wrapped up uh, in, you know, my, my, my sort of um, memory of French is wrapped up in that emotional 
context. Okay. One of the th- one of the other things I remember from French class was the fact that the other kids misbehaved so much. A lot of the other children were always messing around and misbehaving quite badly. First of all, it was almost impossible for the teacher to get all of the children to actually speak French. And I actually remember witnessing a number of very awkward meltdowns by teachers who just couldn't hack it. They just couldn't control the class. And, uh, you know, several teachers got, you know, very angry and completely lost their temper and they couldn't get the kids under control. I remember once one of the girls at the back of the class, one of those girls who seems like a troublemaker kind of girl, um, and it felt like she was a good two years older than me, even though we were the same age, but she felt like she was about two or three years older than me. And she probably was in terms of her hormone levels and her general development. You know, um, anyway, I remember this girl once pretended to faint in class. She pretended to pass out, or at least I think she pretended to. And there was a big drama at the back of the classroom with lots of the other girls making a big fuss. And the whole class had to stop. The whole class stopped for ages. And most of us were just sitting there, you know, like we were supposed to be writing in our books, but we're probably just sitting there daydreaming or talking about stupid stuff with the person next to us. Um, The whole class stopped for ages while the teacher attempted to deal with this girl who apparently had passed out. And uh, the teacher obviously didn't really know what to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm certain that the whole thing was fake, just so that this girl could find a way to get out of her French class because she hated it and found it boring. And I even felt also that the teacher was sort of playing for time as well, at maybe even making the most of the opportunity to just like, you know, take up some time so that we could get to the end of the lesson more quickly. Uh, because, you know, she couldn't wait for the lesson to end too, because it was a nightmare. And the whole time I just sat there and probably talked about Super Mario Brothers with the kid next to me uh, or, or something like that in English. So basically, I don't remember learning much in school in French more than just bonjour, je m'appelle Luc, j'habite à Solihull, j'ai 13 ans, uh, je joue le football, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but somehow, I came out of school um, when I was 16, uh, before I went to college and then went to university, but I finished school at the age of 16 with a B at uh, GCSE level in French. So uh, a B in French at GCSE level is not bad. So I don't know how I managed to do that. I think probably the standard must have been really low, but I did manage to do okay. I actually remember that part of the assessment for French at school was that you had a spoken interview. So there was an exam and stuff, but also there was a spoken interview. And I do remember somehow that I managed to do pretty well I seem to remember holding down a conversation with my French teacher that wasn't too bad. I think we kind of talked for about 10 minutes in French, probably about all the basic things like, you know, my family and the hobbies and stuff like that. I don't think we had a a discussion about philosophy or anything like that, but um, I did manage to basically hold down a conversation for about 10 minutes and I ended up with a B at GCSE level. So I was pretty proud of myself. And then I grew up you know, I went to college and then university and decades, literally decades passed before I actually had to speak French ever again. So after the age of 16, after taking GCSE French, I basically never spoke French again until I met my wife, um, which uh, is uh, eight years ago now, uh, 2010. 
So now I actually live in France and I feel that I carry so much baggage that holds me back uh, in my progress with French. Um, or maybe that's just an, another excuse because, uh, as I've said before, I have plenty of excuses to explain away uh, my lack of French. So, yeah, I got together with a French girl who is now my wife. Uh, I met her in London and our relationship has always been conducted in English. And the thing is that if you're in a relationship with someone who, um, you know, if you're in a dual language relationship, usually the relationship is defined by one language or, or normally there is one default language for a relationship. So ours is English. So we just, we've, we've always spoken in English. Every now and then we try and go back to French, but it doesn't really work because whenever anything happens, like anything important or what something comes up, then we just end up switching to English. Also, because my French has never been really good enough, it's hard to maintain things in French for any length of time. I mean, it's not that much fun for either of us. And the other joke that I make is that when, you know, when people say to me, Luke, you're married to a French girl. Why don't you speak French with her at home? And my answer to, the, my answer to that is that, well, I want the marriage to work. Uh, meaning that um, in French, I'm sort of an idiot. And my general intelligence level in French drops significantly. And I'm sort of in minus figures in French because I wasn't even very intelligent to start with. Um, I'm basically like Mr. Bean uh, in French, uh, just sort of a, a monosyllabic idiot. And my wife didn't sign up for that. That's not what she agreed to uh, when she married me. Um, I mean, those are just sort of jokey excuses. But the fact is that it's actually a little hard to... Uh, you have to be quite disciplined in a relationship to um, switch to the weaker language. Um, and so we don't really speak French that much. We do a bit, but not that much. Um, so then I moved to France uh, f about five and a half years ago. Yeah, five and a half years. And just before I moved to France, I did take conversation classes with some of my colleagues in London at the London School of English. Um, it's a good school and basically they, they treat their teachers well and uh, the school used to offer the teachers language classes. They would give them the option of taking language classes. So they'd like bring in uh, a, a freelance teacher who would come in and teach people Spanish or German or, or Chinese or Arabic and stuff like that and, and French. So we had a teacher who would come in once a week after school for a couple of hours and uh, she would teach French to, to the groups of teachers who wanted to work on their French. And we would you know, generally sit around and do conversational French. It was quite laid back, quite relaxed, not lots of grammar. She would just let us speak and correct us. It was great. And actually I found that that really helped quite a lot. Um, what were those classes like? Well, I've just mentioned that they were mainly relaxed conversational classes. And I actually f enjoyed those classes more than any other classes I've taken. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, ex an experience I had here in Paris uh, taking uh, French lessons at uh, a French school, um, which was very similar to the kinds of lessons I offer students in English. But in this case, I was, um, you know, in a French classroom learning French. I was a student. 
anyway, the classes I had in London were really nice. I was with, first of all, my colleagues who I got on with really well. Um, people I knew well, and we were already quite sort of friendly with each other. And that made a big difference. It meant that we were all very relaxed and that we didn't like judge each other very much. Plus the fact that we we're all English teachers meant that, uh, um, you know, we knew that the best way to, to you know, to, to be good students, you had to just try and be communicative and just try and talk and not worry about making mistakes and things and, and try and learn from the mistakes that you make. And so we all had the right kind of attitude, I felt, in, in those classes. And we were motivated to try and express ourselves in, in French. And the, the teacher was great because she would encourage us, she'd let us speak, and she would give us language feedback. Uh, she wouldn't overload us with grammar, but she'd give us some grammar, you know, because we needed it, frankly, because we couldn't, for example, conjugate verbs in the past and stuff. But a lot of the time she would let us ramble on in French. Um, and that I found really useful because it allowed me to just, in a non-judgmental environment, to just find my voice in French a little bit. I mean, I never really did because, you know, at that point my level was like A2, which basically means you can you know, have, you can say some pretty basic things. I haven't made much progress since then, I have to say. Um, but anyway, those classes were, were, were really nice. And then I moved to France. And I expected to be able to speak French just as a result of living here. I thought that somehow just by being here, just breathing the air and eating the bread, that it, I would somehow absorb French. I thought it would happen as a consequence um, I thought that just by being here that I would simply have to learn as a matter of survival or by being here that would mean that I would just pick it up sort of like magic. It would just rub off on me or I'd learn it by osmosis. Um, so that's what I expected because, you know, the the standard wisdom is that if you go and live in a country where that language is spoken primarily, that as a result, you'll just learn it. Okay. But not necessarily. The thing is, I think that my life here is fixed in a certain way. And it doesn't really involve much need for speaking French. Because ultimately, you'll, you'll learn the language in this way by being immersed in it. You'll only learn the language if you really need it. It's necessity that causes you to learn a language. Now, I didn't come here and immediately get a job in a cafe and have to learn survival-level French in order to serve to people on tables. You know, I, I wasn't in a relationship where um, I had to speak French all the time because my wife's English is, is good. Um, and I wasn't sort of going out trying to meet people um, and making friends in French because um, a lot of the friends that I ended up meeting here were English speakers because there's a large expat community here and a lot of my friends are comedians and there's a English language comedy scene here. So a lot of a lot of the people I ended up hanging around with were English native speakers. So in a sense, I ended up living in an English language bubble. And as well as that, hand on heart, uh, I think that my heart isn't in it. I think that's part of the pr problem. I have to be honest. I think that my heart isn't really in it. And frankly, I didn't move here to learn French, you see. A lot of people that I know who live here, a lot of uh, expats who've moved to France, part of the reason they moved here is because they were 
motivated to learn the language and explore the culture. And although I love living in Paris and um, and all that stuff, really, I moved here for love, you know, which is probably the most French thing about my life, that I made that decision um, for my relationship, that essentially I moved here for love. I'm so romantic. Well, I moved here because, you know, I'd met my wife in London and we had a long distance relationship for a couple of years. And in the end, I thought, well, we can't carry on like this. And since I'm an English teacher, basically, it's it's certainly possible for me to go and live in France. You know, I could do it because I could go and teach English there and it's, it's definitely possible. So I thought, right, well, I want to keep this relationship going. I'm not just going to let this girl go. So I'm going to have to go and move to France and make it, you know, give us a give us a good chance. And so uh, that's how I ended up li- moving here. But I didn't move here for the French. I didn't move here in order to f- explore the French language and and uh, explore the French culture because, frankly, but the time that I moved, I feel like I was at a stage in my life when I wanted to do things for my career. And as an English teacher, it's not like I mean, as an English teacher, unfortunately, it, it can be quite hard to build a, a, a top career, you see, because, either, you know, you end up be, either being a manager of a school, and I don't really want to manage teachers, I enjoy teaching too much, or you end up specialising in just doing special business English classes, which I have done a lot of, or you go and work in a university and you teach university students in English, which is obviously very interesting and and, uh, and that's great. But really the best way to take advantage of that system is to become an academic and you need to take French academic qualifications and then start doing a PhD or something, um, you know, or you, you just end up continuing to teach English. And so it can be quite hard to really progress in your career as an English teacher. Again, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's my responsibility. And, uh, you know, we build our own lives and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not making excuses. But, I, you know, I also had the website and the podcast and things. And really what my mind was all about at that time um, really was about trying to build my career or trying to make something out of myself with my podcast uh, and my stand-up comedy, which I've managed to keep doing here in France. These are the things that have been my uh, my ambitions and my objectives, uh, as well as, you know, um, making the relationship work and, and all that stuff and, and building uh, sort of a family life. Other than that, my ambitions were to do things with my career and try and progress as a comedian and try and uh, build, you know, a, a podcast and, and monetize that. And I'm, I'm kind of in the process of doing it. And as a result, I, I wasn't in a stage of my life where I wanted to go explore a new culture and, and learn another language. I know, I know it's kind of sad because I feel a bit rude, you know. I feel like I'm a bit rude by coming to France and not taking... S- uh, that much of an interest in the culture than I should. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying I'm not interested in the culture because I certainly love 
the food and uh, you know the 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 sights and the 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 country. I mean, France is a beautiful country with all sorts of different landscapes. You know, you've got the Atlantic coast, the Mediterranean coast. You've got the mountains, the Alps for skiing. Uh, there's the um, the North Coast with Normandy and Brittany. Uh, there are beautiful landscapes all over the country. It's an absolutely beautiful place. Uh, so I, I love uh, France. But anyway, I'm now talking about my excuses for why I haven't learned French, you know. Uh, so ultimately, it's because my heart isn't in it. Mm. Um, because I, I, I'm here for other reasons. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? I mean, I feel bad about that. I feel like it's an insult. I feel like it's disrespectful or something. But really, honestly, the bottom line is I don't actually need that much French or I can get by without it. I mean, there are moments when it would definitely help and moments when my lack of French definitely reflects really badly on me. There are moments when I feel terribly ashamed when people talk to me and I try and speak to them in French and my French breaks down and I can just feel their judgment burning my skin off. But basically, I can get by on a day-to-day basis and the vast majority of how I live my life is in English. I mean, not just with my wife and friends and the fact that I, I speak English with my colleagues at work, that I teach English to my students in my classes, that I'm actually thinking about English a lot of the time as I'm analysing it, preparing to teach it and things like that. Um, many of the people that I meet in, in Paris, most of them speak pretty good English or some English, people in shops, waiters, um, stuff like that. Many people have got the, the the general level of English is probably a bit better than my level of French. And as a result, people hear me struggling with French and then they go, they in their head, they probably go, oh, your French is uh, shit. So we will s- switch to English. Like just the other day, I went into a shop to buy some cakes. Okay. I went into a shop to buy some cakes and I said, bonjour. Uh, and I said er uh, while I was looking at the cakes. The way I said er uh, was really anglophone, really English. So I said bonjour er, uh, and he said, "How can I help you?" In English. So I mean that's just an example of how sometimes people all they need to do is take a look at me or hear me say bonjour, and they immediately switch to. To English, And then what I have to do is fight to continue the conversation in French, but then I feel like a bit of an idiot when my French breaks down. So, you know, it's just so convenient to speak English in a sense. However, you should know that I'm, I'm very ashamed of this for lots of reasons, but also because I feel a bit like a hypocrite. I spend most of my time preaching about second language acquisition, and I don't really do it myself. I don't practice what I preach. Okay. Now, at this point, some of you will be thinking, oh, Luke, don't beat yourself up. It's all right. Okay, relax. Come on. Some of you will be thinking that. And yeah, okay, fine. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm okay. I've, I'm relaxed. Uh, and my daughter is still asleep here in my arms. And um, But uh, also, some of you might be thinking, but Luke, how is it possible that you haven't learned the language? Ugh! I don't know if you're saying it like that, but anyway, well, I mean, I've already started explaining a lot of it, but well, 
I say I haven't learnt the language, really. I, I can speak a bit, but my level is nowhere near what it should be or could be after five years here. I'm genuinely not very proud of it, and sometimes I feel genuinely bad about it. Like, for example, when I'm with friends or family who've known me for years now and have seen basically no developments, really. Uh, sometimes I sit there at the dinner table with everyone speaking in French all around me, And probably for the first half an hour or hour, I can keep up with the conversation. I mean, I can understand what they're saying. I can't really contribute because when I contribute, it's sort of like the whole conversation has to slow down to this incredibly uh, basic level. And so I I managed to just sort of sit there and it's a bit like I'm watching a tennis match. You know, my head moves to the left, to the right as I'm trying to keep up with the conversation. I'm watching a tennis match. And then eventually what happens, it's, it's like I'm watching a tennis match, but I can't see the ball anymore. I've got no idea where the ball is. And I'm just like looking from left to right. And I can see the players uh, moving around and, and, and uh, you know, swiping the tennis rackets, but I just can't see the ball anymore. Um, I can follow the conversation for an hour maybe, but then my head starts spinning and I just can't keep up or even stay conscious. It's actually terribly exhausting trying to keep up with a group of French people who know each other well while the wine is flowing and they're all talking over each other and I'm just, I've got no idea what's going on. It's terribly exhausting and embarrassing. But nobody seems to really realise. I don't know. I don't know if they realise or not. or not. I don't really know. Perhaps they think that I'm being modest, you know. Uh, most French people are quite modest about their English. Most French people will say, oh, my English is terrible. Uh, but then they're just being modest or something. And in fact, their English is pretty good on balance. And then when I say, oh, no, my French is terrible, I think they think that I'm being modest too, like them. So they think they know what that means when I say, oh, no, my French is terrible. They think that that means I, I'm actually not bad, but I'm, I'm not very, you know, I'm not very confident. But when I then start attempting to say something, they realise that my French is genuinely terrible. And then, they're, and then they're shocked. Like, I can see that they're shocked. Like, you know, they're like, oh, holy shit, your French is terrible. And French people can be very direct as well. And I feel like saying, yeah, I, t- I know, I told you. Also, you know, quite frankly, Parisians, not all of them, and I'm not talking about like my my close friends here, but, you know, sort of random Parisians that you might meet in a party or something, can be very judgmental. And um, yeah, they, they, you know, they can be very judgmental and, and uh, they're extremely judgmental of each other's English. So Parisians will judge each other's English really harshly. And I'm certain that they're judgmental of my French, especially when they know I've been here for a while. And they can just be very direct and they seem to spend a lot of time being brutally honest and brutally frank about things, including their assessments of other people. Sometimes I listen to uh, Parisian people talking about other people and they can be just very sort of straight about people. And I just feel like that I must be rather a sad case in some people's eyes. I probably shouldn't worry about it too much. But it feels it feels pretty rubbish, uh, I can tell you. I also believe that some people have no clue who I am. That's another issue I have because I'm unable to really express myself. I get the impression that some people who know, who've known me for a while still don't really know who I am. You know, they think I'm 
just this shy, timid person or something with no personality. I'm, I'm sure that some people feel like that. That, they, that the personality that they've taken from me is, you know, what they've heard other people say about me and things like that. They haven't really seen me being myself because I can't really be myself in, in French. It feels like I'm sort of invisible or just one-dimensional. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure of it, in fact. I'm pretty sure that's how I come across as just this one-dimensional, sort of monosyllabic, shy person. And so, and you know, so much of who I am is connected to the way that I speak. It's connected to the way that I deliver things I'm saying in a fairly complex way. It's connected to my sense of humor, the, my, the way I use understatement, the way I use sarcasm or irony or humor and just general ironic detachment from everything. That's how I get my personality across in English. And all those things are communicated in my subtle use of English uh, as a language. But uh, in French, I'm, I'm just sort of a completely one-dimensional person. And that one dimension is a kind of 14-year-old who hasn't developed a personality yet. That's how it feels. I'm basically my 14-year-old self, that 14-year-old or 13-year-old who, in a, uh, a classroom at school, watched those videos of those French, those confident and sophisticated-looking French kids greeting each other and socialising, uh, and, and, you know, at the dinner party, sometimes I feel like I am that 14-year-old version of myself, surrounded by all these confident and extremely well-dressed French people from that video, except that now we're all adults. And recently on the podcast, I talked about imposter syndrome, though that experience when you feel like you're an imposter, like you're, you're in a situation that you don't really deserve to be in. Well, yeah, I really feel a lot of imposter syndrome at these dinner parties and parties and things. Then what often happens is that people will speak English to me and often, you know, many of my French friends speak excellent English. And so often they'll, we'll, we'll all start speaking English and then it's better and suddenly my personality comes out and I'm actually suddenly able to make people laugh. And I've seen some people at parties or dinner parties who you know, met me for the first time at the beginning of the evening and they formed a, a version of me uh, in their heads. And then after two or three hours when the conversation switches to English and I'm suddenly able to take part, that they kind of like, oh, I, oh, I didn't notice you. Like, I didn't notice that you existed at this party or uh, around the dinner table. Um, so, yeah, we speak English. I feel a bit better, but I, I still feel bad about speaking English. Uh, so I often I don't really let go in that situation either because I don't want to be I don't want to force everyone to speak English. So sometimes I'll speak English with a few reservations. Basically, I know I'm making it sound much worse than it really is. I have lots of French friends now that know me very well and I can completely be myself with them. But sometimes I do get stuck at a party or at a dinner party and it's exactly as I've described it. My worst nightmare is, you know, going to a French party on my own. I mean, it's just an absolute nightmare because I dread those questions which are basically how long have you been in France? Why are you here? and What do you think of France? And, you know, it's just really hard for me to have those conversations because I just feel self-conscious. I have lots of excuses. 
And like I've already said, my French isn't very good, but my excuses are improving all the time. I'm fluent in excuses, proficient in excuses. I don't want to make excuses for what I consider to be a lack of French, but I can give reasons why my French hasn't improved as much as I want. I'm wary of giving these reasons because, frankly, I think it will make me look bad, especially considering how I often give advice on language learning. But perhaps there will be some of you out there who take some comfort in hearing me talk about my hang-ups, my failures, and my general rubbishness in language learning. As a learner or non-learner of French, let me tell you, I would love to hear other people's stories of how they have struggled with French. I would love to hear those things. It would bring me loads of comfort to know that there are other people out there like me who feel generally awful about their language learning. We so often hear from successful language learners, don't we? So much of the time we're hearing stories of people who have found successful strategies for learning language, people who deliver their advice like a sales pitch for how to learn a language. And although I know that there is a lot of great great advice in there, sometimes it feels a little bit sickening for me to hear about other people's great successes in language learning. I personally, for a change, would like to hear about people who are crap at learning languages or at least crap at applying themselves to the discipline of learning languages. That would make me feel better. So in that spirit, in the spirit of just, you know, I'm sure some of you out there agree with me that you would, for a change, you would like to hear someone talking about uh, their, their, their failures in language learning. In that spirit, let me talk about doing all the wrong things in learning French. Now, this episode seems to be an exercise in self-flagellation, but it's not. It's actually me talking about all of this stuff on the podcast. It's actually, it feels very liberating, I have to say. It feels good. I feel much better than I did before, actually, having uh, spoken about this for an hour and five minutes, because it feels like I've got a lot of things off my chest, things that I've felt a bit embarrassed about. It's good. It's good to get it to get it out there. Okay, I'm not embarrassed. But anyway, the, uh, doing all the wrong things in learning a language. The first wrong thing is to make loads of excuses, which is exactly what I'm going to do now. And by the way, there's a difference between an excuse and a reason. A reason is why something happened or didn't happen. An excuse is also a reason, but it's also a way of passing the blame or passing the responsibility onto someone else. You know, if you haven't done your homework, you might give excuses. Oh, the dog ate it. I lost it. Blah, blah, blah. These are all reasons why you're not responsible for doing it. These are excuses. So, the first wrong thing, you shouldn't make excuses because essentially you're passing the responsibility away from yourself. Uh, making excuses is just a way to avoid ultimately taking responsibility. So I fully admit that I'm entirely responsible for my level of French. And if my French isn't uh, at the level I would like it to be, I've got, I only have myself to blame. And I think that that's a very important thing to 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 admit, isn't it? So we shouldn't make excuses. Not It's not just for learning languages, it's for everything. We should avoid making excuses. We should take responsibility for ourselves, ultimately. We should never blame other people. Successful people always take responsibility for themselves. They accept responsibility for failure. And unsuccessful people, it seems, are, are always passing the blame onto other people and they're avoiding ha- taking the responsibility for themselves. So... Don't do that. Don't make excuses. Just, you know, just take action. But anyway, 
here are my excuses, uh, which are ultimately my ways of avoiding my personal responsibility for learning French. But perhaps they're also legitimate reasons. Who knows? So I think ultimately it comes down to motivation. Clearly, I'm not that motivated to learn the language. Even though I live here, I have to go out of my way to learn French. And the fact that I don't the fact that I don't do that makes me feel bad because I'm basically not adapting to my host culture properly. But I feel I should at least uh, list some of the reasons why my French hasn't improved as much as it should, just to get them out of the way, just to get them off my chest. But I realise they're all excuses. Um, as a teacher, I feel added pressure to be an excellent language learner, and I hardly ever meet my own standards. A lot of my friends who learned French didn't have that expectation on their shoulders. They were just young and living in Paris, and it happened sort of as a consequence of their whole journey of discovery uh, while living here. Whereas for me, I've already got all of these strat, or you know, I know exactly what I should be doing, and so I'm so aware of the fact I'm not doing it, and that makes me feel bad. And feeling bad doesn't help. I live in an English-speaking bubble, as I've said before. I work in English. I speak English at home. I, I listen to English podcasts. Uh, I watch YouTube in English. I do stand-up in English. I do Luke's English podcasts in English. In fact, I find that I'm often studying English myself when I prepare, prepare for lessons or when I'm doing other language work in preparation for teaching or content creating. My world is predominantly in English, and this doesn't mean I have no interactions with French people. I regularly interact with local people, but it often happens in English. Not all the time. I do speak some French, you know. I'm give myself some credit I do speak a bit on a good day on B1 mm, I actually took a few tests recently um, because I'm you know thinking about ultimately uh, getting French citizenship so I'll have dual citizenship you know English I'll have an English passport and a French passport um, because you know having a, a daughter born here and the possibility of Brexit making life difficult it would be a good idea to have a French passport so one of the things you have to do to get citizenship here is you have to take a French test and I was looking at some example French tests online uh, samples and I was taking some of the French tests and surprisingly I took a couple of listening tests and I came out C1 which is a great surprise to me because I certainly can't uh, express myself at a level C1 but it shows I've got an extremely unbalanced profile my listening is way 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 better than my speaking it's really strange I'm able to understand a lot of what people say in conversation but I don't know how I understand it. Like, I can't tell you the words they're really using. I, c- I couldn't write those words down. I, c- I can't really repeat them. Um, I don't know. I-, I can't really explain the grammar or I-, I can't really see or feel the grammar or get a handle on the words. And yet somehow I understand uh, French people. I think rather than learning French, I think I've just become psychic. I think I've just learned how to read French people's minds and just sort of work out what they're saying from context. But it's unbelievable. So taking these tests, uh, these sort of listening tests online, I came out C1. I got like, you know, 18 out of 20 questions right. And they, and they weren't that, that easy. So God knows how I've, I've managed to do that. It's really strange. Um, other things. People's level of English is often better than my level of French, so they automatically switch to English. This includes waiters, people in the street, and also people at parties. One thing, one situation that sticks in my mind, which was horrible, was once I was at a party, um, 
at a party socializing my wife was at the party too she was somewhere else speaking to some other people and i just ended up like going to the table to get a drink and i ended up talking to this guy and i was trying to speak french to him and my french broke down within a few sentences we spoke a bit of english he asked me the usual questions how long have you been living here i told him i've been here for about three years and he was sort of shocked and being the direct parisian guy he was he said look you need to start speaking french okay you, you need to start speaking French. You live in France. You've got to speak French. And then he said to me, so look, don't talk to me until you've learned French. And he just walked away from me and he left me standing on my own with a drink in my hand. He literally just said, look, uh, don't talk to me until you've learned French. And then he fucked off. And I felt terrible. You know, I felt terrible for two reasons. One, because my sh- my French was so shit. But also I felt terrible because that guy was such a dickhead. I mean, that's just rude behavior, isn't it? I mean, I understand his point. His point, from his point of view, he was trying to be generous to me saying, you know, saying you're only gonna, you're only gonna learn French when you actually, you know, make the effort to do it. And so in a sense, his directness, his bluntness was exactly what I needed uh, although it had, it didn't help. I mean, it, it, I didn't immediately go away. Oh no, I've got to speak French because Mr. Dickhead didn't want to speak to me. Oh, I need to impress him. I didn't actually care. But anyway, I felt pretty bad because I felt bad about my French. And I also felt bad that this guy existed at the party. Um, it just, it just put, you know, it was a real downer. I felt really bad. I really shouldn't feel like this, but I often feel ashamed and embarrassed, yada, yada, yada. This means I end up in a vicious cycle of having an embarrassing experience or a failure and then feeling bad. And that affects my confidence, which leads to more failures because you have to be confident to communicate, don't you? I actually think I'm also, I'm quite a wordy person. You know, I tend to ramble quite a lot when I speak and sometimes I don't get straight to the point. Somehow this works for me in English, okay? I've, I've managed to reach a certain level of articulacy where I can sort of ramble around and I've got the dexterity in English to be able to just sort of not really say anything in particular sometimes or be very, very specific, okay? Uh, so I'm very wordy and I can be very sort of uh, convoluted in the things I say sometimes, um, but I haven't found myself in French yet. I haven't found my voice in French yet. Uh, and it, f- it feels like every time I open my mouth, I just sort of make things more complicated and I just bring more problems to myself because people misunderstand and misinterpret what I'm saying. You know, I've, I've had situations where I'm just trying to talk, I'm trying to string a sentence together and people are just looking at me like, what the, f- what the fuck are you talking about? Um, but you know, these fears and things that I'm going into in, in great detail here, all these fears and, and, uh, or these bits of awkwardness, it's just shyness and social awkwardness. And I mustn't let that get the better of me, right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't let, we shouldn't explore our, our shyness this much. We shouldn't let our social awkwardness dictate our behavior. People want to practice their English with me. Here's another, here's another reason why, here's another excuse. People want to practice their English with me and they want to be nice. So often 
we end up speaking English. At a party, unless the person's a bit of a dickhead, I might meet someone and they find out that I'm English and then they will spend 15 minutes with me as a little mini English lesson and they'll use it as a chance to practice their English and they'll tell me all about their problems with English and I've heard it time and time and time again. Every single person I meet here has exactly the same story with English, which is that I, I learned English at school. But, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same story I've told in this episode. I think we all have the same story with our language learning. It, most of us have got kind of the same story that we learned another language at school, but the teaching wasn't very good. There were too many people in class. There was uh, too much of an emphasis on grammar and translation, not enough emphasis on actual communication. The teacher wasn't able to control the class. And I didn't care. I didn't see the value of learning the language when I was at school. And then here I am as an adult and um, I'm I'm very shy and I, I feel very negative about my, my other language. You know, that seems to be the story that so many people share. Um, my wife, my wife often helps me when I need help. She's nice like that, but it means that I don't face the sort of survival challenges that are necessary for developing in the second language. When I say that she helps me when I need help, I mean she will, for example, speak to someone on the telephone for me. You see, she's very nice. And if I have, you know, a situation, so I will let her deal with it. Yeah, I know. That's nice, but it doesn't help. doesn't help because I'm never forced to learn to, to speak French. So I'm not making time for moments of French in my daily routine. I almost feel like I have too many things to do. And so I don't fit, I don't fit French into my life. It's the same with sport. I don't do any sport because I think, well, what, when the hell am I going to do it? God knows what will happen when my daughter arrives on the scene. I actually wrote this bit before she was born. Here she is, still asleep. Thank goodness. Well, she's been very good sleeping all the way through this. Um, So in terms of language learning, people tell me that I will learn because I will have to do more things in French for her, my daughter. But I also wonder if there will be any time for anything. Note to self don't be negative. I mustn't be negative. I wrote that before she arrived. And I think before I had, um, the, our daughter arrived, I was a bit worried. I was thinking there won't be time to do anything. Ah, oh, what's going to happen? There's actually a lot more time. And when these things happen, you know, when kids arrive or when life gets more complicated, ultimately you make more time. We, we are adaptable people, humans. We, we rise to challenges. Shouldn't be negative. More excuses. Paris is a very busy place and I feel people are impatient and even judgmental. This adds pressure on me. I feel like such a dumbass when I speak French and some people don't always react in the way I need them to. Like what I need people to do is to listen and be patient, but there's not that much sympathy. And I feel like they're just, you know, they immediately think, oh God, now you're mangling my language or just another tourist who can't speak French. Let's just speak English. Again, these are 100% excuses and I know it. Also, I'm, I'm very good at speaking English to non-native speakers. People understand me because I'm clear. And so it's just much easier for, you know, to conduct the conversations in English. Their English has to be pretty bad for French to be the choice of language. Also, I'm just a lazy student. I don't do anything. Um, I don't really do any studying. I have done some studying, but I found it to be... I Actually, when I come face-to-face with French, when it comes to 
conjugating all those verbs and dealing with the syntax and dealing with all the different pronouns and transitive and intransitive verbs and masculine and feminine nouns and how that affects the rest of the sentence. I find that stuff impenetrable and frustrating. I used to do conjugation exercises in a big book, but I found it hideously dull and boring. For example, I found the example sentences and gap fills frustrating because the sentences were just so stupid and idiotic. I feel like a terrible person right now saying these things. Sometimes the fact that English is the global language and most people can speak it and want to learn it, this frankly works against me and I will only learn French if I really go out of my way to learn it, even though I'm living in the country myself. I could go on with the excuses, but I won't. What my situation proves is this. Unless you apply yourself to the task, you won't learn a language, even if you live in a country where that language is spoken. This contradicts the old adage that immersion alone is the path to fluency in another language. Really, applying yourself to the language means being prepared to spend time with that language, consuming it and producing it, either by studying it or engaging in communication with it. If you don't apply yourself properly, it just won't happen. There are three important factors which you have which have to be in place to learn a language. Simply living in the country where they speak that language is not, in le- uh, not enough unless you have these three factors involved. First factor is motivation, the desire to learn the language which drives your behavior, your curiosity, your patience and your will to continue practicing and overcoming obstacles. Motivation is vital. It could be short-term motivation, like, for example, you work as a waiter in French or you work, you know, in French in some other situation and you simply have to understand people or you will just have a miserable time on a moment-by-moment basis. So the motivation there is just to get some control over the panic in every moment of the day when you're working in French. Or it could be a more long-term sort of motivation, which is usually the idea that you're learning the language because you want to have it as part of your identity. You're just drawn to it because you simply want to be a person who can speak that language fluently. Second thing is habits habits, the things you're doing. And this basically means regular practice and contact with the language. The longer and more frequent, the better. Also, a certain organized approach to keeping a record of what you learned and measuring your goals and your progress, uh, keeping, an, you know, keeping organized study materials, or at least having measurable and achievable objectives um, and building that into your habitual practice that's all part of habit, okay? And the third thing is resources. Uh, these are the things that can help you. And we're talking about textbooks that you might use or reading books or listening materials and also just the people who you can talk to, um, okay? Now, it does depend on the person too, I think. I believe that some people just somehow soak up the language, But this may be down to motivation a lot of the time. The ones who seem to soak up the language and just learn it through contact and immersion seem also to be the ones who just enjoy exploring this world of the second language and who embrace their new life and their new identity in a second language. I haven't embraced my French side. I haven't found my French voice or embraced, uh, you know, I haven't explored the the idea of having a French identity see like my friend for example amber when she speaks french she sounds like a different person 
She sounds like a different person. She's got this whole other aspect to her, which is the French amber. And she sounds different. Even the tone of her voice is different. So she's got this whole other identity in French, which she's, she's explored over the time that she's been here. I haven't done that. I haven't got a French, I haven't got a French person living inside me. Thank goodness. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of my language, that, that is a bad thing. Perhaps I need a structured system. Maybe I need a regular study plan that I can apply. For example, working through course books or simply reading and listening to dialogues and doing exercises. And I've got course books. I've, I've chosen them. I spent time going through bookshops and choosing very carefully the kind of course books that I thought were good, using my own you know, language teaching experience to judge the material. So I've got, I've got course books upstairs. But I, I go through the course books, I start studying on the material, and my mind drifts. I mean, I'm just terrible. I've just got a terrible con- concentration span, unless I'm really motivated. I mean, I can concentrate on an episode of Luke's English Podcast, preparing an episode of Luke's English Podcast. I can concentrate on that all day. Uh, but when it comes to going through the language learning exercises in my French course books, even though I think they're good course books... My motivation just dies after 10 minutes. It's terrible. So this is motivation, you know. This is the main thing, I think. Motivation is the most important thing. If you're motivated to learn the language, probably because you want that as part of your identity, you will actually do things to improve your level. I just don't do enough things. I don't apply myself. I don't have enough contact with the language. I don't speak enough in French. My excuse is I'm just too caught up in my world of English. These three things, motivation, habits, resources, may be the most important factors for learning a language, but motivation is really the big one. If you really want to learn a language, you will. One way or another, you'll get there. If you're not that bothered about learning English, uh, learning a language, you probably won't learn it, even if you're surrounded by that language. You might learn it to an extent, you might have a sort of imbalanced version of it, but you're never going to learn the total, complete, well-balanced skill set uh, in that language. So I suppose that I feel bad because my lack of French seems to suggest that I just don't care about it. And that makes me feel bad because I don't want people to think that I don't care or that I'm not invested in the country where I live or that I'm not integrating with the culture. I don't want people to think those things. Uh, I feel bad that ultimately I'm not learning French because I just don't care about it. I'm a bit conflicted about this. I think I do care, of course, but perhaps not enough to actually do anything about it. Habit is involved here too, though, because I think it's a question of changing certain things in my lifestyle, like basically just including some French practice into my lifestyle on a daily basis. But it's hard to break the habits of a lifetime. Some of you are thinking to yourselves, Luke, why don't you just listen to podcasts in French like we listen to you? And yeah, from time to time, I do listen to podcasts in French. But you know, I feel like I'm a picky, a picky learner. He's like, no, I haven't found exactly the right podcast in French yet. I mean, I want, I want podcasts in French to be funny and natural. I want to hear people having natural, interesting, humorous conversations, but which are designed for me to listen to. I've got a couple of uh, French comedian friends of mine do podcasts and I listen to them. And that's great, but I don't understand a lot of it. But that's good. And I should continue doing it. That has actually helped me. 
Uh, there's also a, pro- uh, a podcast called Francais Authentique, which is basically a guy who um, talks about different subjects in short episodes. And I listen to him. And that's helped me as well, definitely. I should be doing that kind of thing a lot more. I haven't found a French podcast that I've really become addicted to yet, though. So it's a vicious cycle. If I don't learn the language, I can't appreciate the culture properly and I get alienated. And if I can't appreciate the culture properly and I'm alienated, I can't really learn the language because I'm alienated from it. Add to that a sense of shame and the fact that I really should be a better learner because I've been a language teacher for a long time. And the result is a bit of a mess in my head and it all blocks my ability to learn French. I'm also quite modest. I'm probably beating myself up a bit and I'm not utterly hopeless or anything. But my honest assessment is that I'm far from good enough, especially after having lived here. And I say good enough, that means, uh, you know, as good as I want to be. After having lived here, surrounded by French people for a few years, I think I'm A2, B1. I'm only capable of limited conversations about familiar things. I need help and patience from the person I'm talking to. I frequently come across moments where I just can't carry on because I didn't understand something or because I don't have the words. I can follow a group conversation for about 20 minutes or so, but then I get lost. The honest assessment is I'm pre-intermediate. Intermediate on a good day, my, my strengths are my listening, my reading and my general communicative competence active listening my body language i'm very aware of what makes a good communicator i'm a reactive person i'm I'm not completely stupid but my weaknesses are my, my speaking in terms of fluency accuracy vocabulary range my pronunciation um you know i can't pronounce the you know i can't clearly say the word for water as i've said on this podcast water in french is oh 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 de l'eau Even now, I can't say it. French people, you're probably laughing or crying. I don't know what you're doing at this point. But I can't order water. I mean, I can, but people often misunderstand me. If I I ask for a bottle of water, un bouteille d'eau, s'il vous plaît, often they're just like, what? Quoi? You know, they they don't understand. And so now I order un bouteille de vin, s'il vous plaît, or un bouteille de volvic. I have to check what water they have in in the shop and I just order the brand name of the water and that's how I get it because oh, 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 I don't know. Uh, so my weaknesses are you know fluency accuracy vocab range pronunciation grammatical accuracy and writing I have no idea how to spell a lot of what I'm hearing for example some kind sometimes I can't distinguish a phrase from a single word um, it's very embarrassing to write uh, French emails because you have things like different accents, different parts of uh, um, punctuation that we don't have in English. I'm Ill- I'm illiterate, basically. I'm basically illiterate. I'm an illiterate immigrant uh, living here. You know, I feel like I have a, a similar level of intelligence as like maybe a, a, a four year old child in French, or maybe a very clever monkey, like a particularly gifted chimp who's able to, like, you know, ask for bananas and have basic conversations using sign language. I'm kind of at that level, sort of. 
Also, being a language teacher myself might actually exacerbate the problem. I'm so aware of what I should be doing, of how far I have to go, how much work I need to be doing, that I'm just defeated before I've even started. I'm essentially just down at the foot of the mountain, running around, doing lots of things, constantly aware of the mountain looming above me and how much climbing I have to do. All right, this isn't supposed to be some sort of self-flagellation session or a confessional. Um, Let me get on to those classroom experiences I was supposed to be talking about. And I've been talking for an hour and a half, so I'm going to have to stop here and I'll carry on in, I think, the next episode of the podcast. If you're listening on the app, check the bonus audio for this episode. I think it's probably just going to be the little five-minute bit I, I recorded while I was attempting to get my daughter to get to sleep. That's probably what you'll hear in the bonus. So probably the next episode of this podcast will be me um, talking about my classroom experiences. That's what I'll do in the next episode. I'll talk about my experiences of learning French in the classroom when I took um, French classes for two weeks at the Alliance Française in Paris. And when I was there, when I was taking lessons as a student, I actually took some notes. I took a little diary where I wrote down some of my experiences of being in the classroom. So I'm going to go through uh, that diary and share the thoughts uh, and notes that I wrote down. And then we'll talk about, I say we'll talk about, I will talk about the difference between learning a language in a classroom situation and learning a language on your own and the relative benefits and drawbacks for those two situations. Okay, thanks for listening to me going on and on and on and really kind of beating myself up in a fairly self-indulgent way in this episode if you've ever experienced some of the confidence issues that I've talked about in this episode with uh, English then hopefully you'll feel sort of a little comforted to know that you're not alone and that I also often feel like that some of you I'm sure will be desperate to give me encouragement and to give me suggestions and things like that and that would be very nice of you Uh, So thank you if you've been thinking positive things uh, in order to try and help me. And if you've been thinking, oh, God, Luke, you know, stop beating yourself up. Come on, pull yourself together. Well, I have pulled myself together, okay? And uh, talking about it on the podcast here has helped me to do that. Thank you for listening. And I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.